the benefit that you will feel by deepening engagement, by advocating and doing it not only for others, but for yourself. It just builds trust, psychological safety. It's, it can be really powerful to create change. You are listening to the Siemens Energy Podcast Series. The energy sector is undergoing an unprecedented transformation, presenting both challenges and opportunities. The demand for energy is increasing worldwide. And at the same time, we must combat the effects of climate change and reduce CO2 emissions. On each episode, we bring you conversations with some of the world's cutting-edge thought leaders in energy and related subjects. Our goal is to help you understand energy, the challenges we face today, and what the future holds. Subscribe and be sure to check out our website for more resources. Siemens Energy is providing this podcast as a public service. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Siemens Energy. The views expressed by guests and hosts are their own, and their appearances on this program do not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by Siemens Energy employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the views of Siemens Energy or any of its officials. Hi, I'm Amy Pemple, and I'd like to welcome you to a special episode about inclusion, diversity, and allyship. I will be sitting down with Alison Zimmerman, the Executive Director at Catalyst Europe, to discuss her work. But before that, our own Sarah Hashish sits down with Maria Ferraro, Siemens Energy's CFO and Chief Inclusion and Diversity Officer, to discuss allyship at the global company. Um, Maria, it's often the usual suspects that talk about inclusion and diversity. Yes. The chief inclusion and diversity yes. officer, the head of HR, or the office that works on IND. But Siemens Energy has decided to take a little bit of a different approach there. What's that all about? Now, thank you, Sarah, for asking, because you're right. Very often, that's what we hear. Well, of course, you know, Maria, as the chief inclusion diversity officer, is talking about it. Um, and or others that are involved. And we have a lot of passionate people that want to contribute. And that's how the genesis of this idea came about, which is being an ally. Um, and it goes back to when we had our employees uh, give examples of where they felt perhaps they were mistreated or we weren't as inclusive or um, as welcoming as an, as an employer or a workspace as we would like to be. Um, so with this came a few, let's say, action items, but one was being an ally. And what's so great about an ally is because anybody can contribute. Anybody can be an ally. And it's a really mutually enriching and beneficial experience for the one that feels that they need an ally, that there's an inequality there, and for those that are actually being an ally. Um, so this is how it all came about, and we're really excited to launch this officially. I'd like to thank Sarah and Maria for a fantastic interview. To continue this discussion of diversity and inclusion, we have invited Alison Zimmerman to join. Alison is the Executive Director of Operations in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa for Catalyst, a global nonprofit that works to accelerate progress for women through workplace inclusion. Alison is a recognized authority on workplace issues and is a frequent speaker on the topics of sponsorship, engaging men, unconscious bias, inclusive leadership, and sexual harassment in the workplace. Welcome, Allison. So let's begin by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, your work in the area of inclusion and diversity, and the mission of Catalyst. Yeah, great. Thank you for having me. My name is Allison Zimmerman. I'm the Executive Director for Catalyst in EMEA, 
And basically what that means is I oversee our EMEA operations, but I also work with a select group of companies such as Siemens Energy. And Catalyst is a global nonprofit. We focus on inclusion, many aspects, but definitely gender is one focus, and as well as race, ethnicity, LGBTQ, and other dimensions of diversity. And we've been around since 1962. So everything we do is rooted in research. Just briefly, you hear I have an American accent. I'm actually Swiss and American, but my home is in Zurich, Switzerland. Wonderful. Oftentimes people think I came over from the U.S. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. And I was wondering that myself. So let's begin uh, and talk a little bit about as the discussion around diversity, equity, and inclusion continues to grow, do you find yourself still having to contend with common misconceptions? Yeah, absolutely. The misconceptions that we face a lot comes in the form of maybe it's something they've heard in the media, maybe it's a fear. Oftentimes, especially in the space of gender, we will hear people say, yeah, but what about men or what about this dimension of diversity? And while it's fascinating because men are a gender too, so this isn't all about women, But a lot of the misperceptions that we hear involve fairness. Is this fair? Is this right? And we can go deeper into this probably in the conversation. And then there's the misperception or misconception that because gender has a big focus, that women are benefiting wonderfully and greatly from this. And actually, it's definitely a focus that we hope will create change, but we haven't quite cracked this nut, if I could say. It's not something that women are just benefiting greatly right now. So yeah, that's another one as well. So the glass ceiling has not been broken completely yet, is what you're saying for women. It may be cracked a little. (laughs) It's definitely, we want to celebrate progress, but oftentimes progress can look Like you take two steps forward and three back, and then you take four steps forward and maybe two back. We we like to think it's going like this. No, it's not. And so we really share its progress over time. And we want to celebrate that progress, but to realize that without focused attention on it, it's not going to happen. And so sometimes when you couple that with the fears that I mentioned earlier, you couple with Sometimes women fears they don't want to be seen as they're getting a hand up or support. or And that's not what this is about. This is about looking broader and wider at the talent. And if we're only picking from half the talent constantly, for especially in leadership, we're not considering this whole talent that is out there. And I could go on and on, but you have questions as well. The misconceptions is very interesting because they they do still linger on. And what do you think are the best ways to combat them and, and to address the intrin- intrinsic biases? Yeah, I think one of the best ways, and I've definitely made mistakes along the way when I was first in this, I thought you had to come in and say, this is a research and this is what we see. And I learned that nobody changes their life because of a pie chart. The data is only one part of it. You have to really personally connect with the topic and personally engage. And and so one of the things that you can do, and I would say this to every individual, when you hear about diversity and inclusion, or you hear about some aspect, dimension of diversity, 
and you have something come in your head that says women aren't advancing for this reason, or this is a meritocracy and it's about only the best talent advances. I would just question when you find that, let's say you have a belief that it's just about the best talent. You just really want to question that. Is it really? And unconsciously, what are you saying when you see one group, one demographic going up through the ranks, but another not? And so just question it. The, the most important thing is if something hits a button for you, maybe I would say my American side comes out. If it jiggles your jello, that is your jello. <laughs> if it hits a button, that is your button. And it's not about blame and shame. That does not work. And nobody feels inspired to change if they feel like they're going to make a mistake or they're going to get it wrong. But what we want you to do is get curious about your, maybe your belief of why diversity, why we're not more diverse at all levels in the organization. And then question it and then do your homework and educate yourself first and foremost. And then from that, get more curious, have conversations. But if you do one thing, it is to challenge assumptions and ask questions. And sometimes it can be simply listening. And if you're listening to people's stories and you're hearing and they trust you to share, you need to believe what they share. And if you find yourself saying, that's not really in our company or no, we don't do that, hit the pause button. It doesn't mean that you are doing that or you aren't doing that. But just listen. And if you do that, you can make massive change in first in yourself and then in the organization. So that brings me to a, a great lead into the next question, which kind of ties into advocating for yourself and advocating for others. Having worked for, with so many different people and organizations, how do you define allyship? And can you provide an example of how it works? So allyship is something that we talk about. It's advocating on behalf of others. But what does that mean? Or advocating on behalf of a group, for example, gender, women, men, non-binary. But it can be, it can be probably the easiest way that I always explain it is you need to connect with a group. If you want to be an ally, you have to first connect. But you also need to educate yourself. You need to do your homework, as I mentioned before. It doesn't, it's really important that you do not over rely on the group or the dimension of diversity that is experiencing probably most. So let's say gender. And, and then from that, you want to really take action. And you'll hear this over and over, not just me, but you'll hear this said that if you don't take action, you are not an ally. And the Oftentimes companies, when we work with, they will say, we don't want to look performative or we don't want to look optical. And if you're curious to understand what that means, read the book, Me and White Supremacy by Leila Saad, and it's S-A-A-D. She's a Qatari British woman. She wrote this book. You can read it in a day. It is really inspiring. But she really talks about when you're an ally that you're advocating, but you're doing it on your behalf as well. It's not solely like I'm going to go and help the women. That's not what it means. It means or whatever dimension. It's about getting curious about your beliefs on this, getting curious about 
like I said, the, if it jiggles your jello, what is that saying? It could be listening, and, but the action must be meaningful. Now, some people are so afraid to post anything because they don't want to look performative or they don't want to look as if they're being optical. You don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You want to, you do, it's okay to post. It doesn't mean you're being performative, but you, the key word is you want to continuously take action. It can't be just March is women's, you know, International Women's Day. That's only time. And it can be small moments. It doesn't have to be this big action that everybody sees. It can be something that you just, for example, you're in a meeting and you see a woman share an idea or somebody of, a, of another race, ethnicity, and nobody hears it. And you're in the meeting. You can be really, you can really say, excuse me, I really want to acknowledge what, you know, she shared or he shared of another dimension of diversity. It's really about being aware that giving them the visibility. And if you see others taking credit or like she said something and everybody jumps in and nobody heard that she said it, call it out. Use your courage. And that is, there's a behavior right now that we encourage greatly is use your courage and you don't do it in a shaming way. And it may not be appropriate to do it in the meeting. It might be shaming for the person who's experiencing it, but you have to address it if you see it. That is one just very simple way that you can shift some dynamics. And finally, I couldn't work in this space for the last 14 years if I didn't truly believe that people mean well, most people. And truly, when we get it wrong, we get it wrong. So get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Know you're going to get it wrong. But if you do get it wrong, don't make that a story. Like, oh, I got it wrong. I'm never going to speak up again. I got shamed or blamed. Don't. Because that's a trap. You want to really watch and say, okay, I got this wrong. Let me use this as a learning opportunity and move forward and continue to learn. It is that consistency that we want to see and others want to see. It's not perfection. It's just continuous progress. And it benefits both the allyship, the, the ally and the recipient as well. It, it, it should be a circle that as you connect and as you educate and as you take action, you continue to connect, educate, and take action. And that, that cyclical, there's, as Leila Saad says so well in her book, you're not going to get an ally cookie. If you're hoping to get an ally cookie, there are no, none. But, and oftentimes we forget that these small moments are what make the big moments. And yeah. I think I summarize that. <laughs> yes. And talking a little bit more about how businesses are addressing this, you want your employees to engage willingly and freely. You don't want it to be a top-down m- mandate for your employees. And I think when you focus on a topic like this, you want it to be included in the company's strategy, right? From the very beginning and the culture that your company is advancing. You want to connect it to your values, So if your values, having the top down is impactful, you do want to see it, you do want to, but you also have the bottom up. And so oftentimes 
it is really about, we say the companies, align your change management, what you're doing, your diversity and inclusion, align it with your values. If you align it with your values, it's it has to be aligned with the overall strategy, but the values can be a really great anchor to why you're doing it. And many companies have caring as a value. They might have collaboration. They might have courage. They might have respect and so trust. And so the more you align it, the more you can anchor some of the behaviors that you can, we often say, it's not me, this was also a title of a book. It was Behavior Way into a New Way of Thinking. And it really is about that, is creating these behaviors aligned with the values, aligned with what you reward and value. And so while leadership plays a very important role, it has to come from bottom up and middle out. And so it can't just be the senior leadership although they have a very important role. Yes, they do. And speaking about leadership, within global companies, they're by nature of their geographic scope, they're culturally diverse. So how do you adapt your employees not to fight their differences, but to celebrate them? Yeah. Culturally, we had this conversation recently, even with our team, because we work with companies from China, Japan, all over Saudi Arabia. And so it's really about, it's really about respecting differences and realizing it's often a freedom within a framework. So taking into the context of a geography that may have legal, legal restrictions, it may be something that in another culture may not be a focus, but it's about having that framework for your company and knowing that while we're globally in all these countries, we respect our employees, we respect differences, we value differences. And coming a little deeper to where I think you're going with the question is Uh that how do you talk across difference and how do you value difference? You do it first by listen for understanding and not imposing your idea of how it should be, but listening for others and learning from others. It doesn't mean, I think it's respect is a key word. And I remember when we think about, let me back up, when we think about behaviors and we think about what we value, it really becomes very simple. What do we expect? We expect maybe respect. Maybe we expect that you can be authentic. And from that, we want to focus there. And so we don't go into the countries and tell them, here's what you should do and here's how you should do it. But we listen and we want to respect the country, but also recognize as your company, you have a global culture. So you have your norms and values that you value. And we could probably spend an hour on this if we win. Uh, deeper into it, but I'm mindful of time. Yes. And how would you challenge leaders who feel the need to change and improve, but are still holding back out of fear or uncertainty? Yeah, I think just being quite frank, that has probably been the most work that I've, I've spent time in, in the last probably seven years. And the one thing I know is I always want to kind of know where are they coming from? I want to listen to their fears It's not that I want to spend a lot of time there, but it's really creating a psychologically safe space. Even though they're leaders and they're in very senior roles, they're often very afraid to get it wrong or do the wrong thing, or they're afraid 
and I, I had this last week. I won't say the country. I never say the countries. But I had a group of senior leaders who I will just say even high-fived in the session, like high-fived a comment. There was so much fear in this group. And I had to really, I said to them, what we hear often is men feel left out. And this group was largely male and women feel singled out. And so they needed to understand that while they valued meritocracy, and that was something they kept saying, that's the best talent. You have to really um, challenge sometimes, validate what they're saying, but also give them another option to consider. And with this group recently, when we were sitting down, they had so many fears coming up. And so one of the things we do is just create a safe space for them to talk about it. And then one by one, we'll question, we'll say, what about this? And many times, and in this one group, they had a belief about women that women lacked confidence. And so at the end of this session, first of all, we don't see a confidence gap in any of our research. We see an opportunity gap for women. They're not given the same projects, the same budgets, the same teams, this, the early PL roles they're not given. And we looked across Europe, saw the same thing, but they aspire to the C-suite. And when we, and so with that group, we had to really unpack that and really challenge, but not in a, this is what I believe you should believe it kind of way. We had to really challenge this idea, this notion of a belief that they really firmly felt was true. And we said, there, there are probably aspects that are true for everybody. But if the culture, maybe there are a lot of men that don't feel confident, but they have norms. And a lot of men have to face a lot of really masculine norms that they may not feel inclusive. And a lot of men might feel, I, ha I can't be this way or I can't be this way, that they end up in the man box, the same with women. And we really need them to challenge us and question. So with the group, at the end of the conversation, we asked, what did you take away? And they said, I just realized that confidence does not equal competence. And so the whole session was on this one belief. The other thing I would add is in order to really engage with this, you often need to experience what it means to be the other. If you are a white male straight in your part of the dominant group, you you have a lot of power to create change. You are not the problem. You are part of the solution. And so really engaging with men to really see that they have a powerful role. But if you ask many of them, they will say, I don't feel powerful. I don't feel like I have a voice. Or they will say, I don't have any privilege. And privilege is invisible to those who have it. We don't see it. As a white woman, I don't see my privilege. And until I would be with a colleague and we'd be in some restaurant or some country, then I would see, oh my goodness, you experience this differently than I do. Privilege is not a bad word to talk about, but it's about being aware that we all have it in some way, shape, or form, and get curious about that. It could be maybe you have the privilege of education. It doesn't necessarily mean that you could be a woman who had this amazing education, that's your privilege. You had a great education. It could be you're white. It could be you have an accent bias as a whole other topic. 
Western European accent versus Eastern European accent. We see that playing out a lot in Europe. So I share that because the more you get curious about it and the more you can see it, the more that you can do something about it, that you can question it when it comes up. And oftentimes the best way to address this kind of, to create change is through questions, is through asking, what might I be missing? Or maybe there's something I'm not seeing. And then listen and then believe what you hear. So a lot of it has to do with really coming out of your comfort zone and, and really addressing the unconscious bias that you may uh, be port- maybe participating in that you're not really aware of. So I think what you're saying is the first step is to recognize it, engage with it, and then make the change as a result of what you've discovered with this internal focus, correct? Yeah. And the final bit with the action is you need to speak up. If you're not speaking up, you are part of the challenge, part of the problem. And that part, and this goes for everybody. If you see it, say it. In the UK, they always have these things, see it, say it, and or speak up. I can't remember exactly. But also being conscious that you want to do that in a way that you're not embarrassing somebody by drawing attention, having them have to do the education. I'll tell a quick, just brief story because I know we're coming up to time. I remember years ago, we were in Ireland and we had this MARC workshop, which means men advocating real change. And it's very experiential. And it's women and men in this workshop. It's not just men. Like we're not giving another network for men (laughs) together. But it's really powerful because it's the first time they can experience what it means to be the other. And they can feel, oh, I I can see how that I had no idea. And there was one exercise where we took all the women away from the room and put went into a separate room and we had all the men in another room in breakout groups. And we asked them, when you leave and you go, we were midway through this workshop. We said, when you leave after this workshop and you go back to your office, what's the one thing that you would really want to do? And then we went to the women and we said, when you leave, what's the one thing you don't want the men in the room to do? And so they went, um, the men all gathered, there were like 60 men, and not quite six, like 40 men and 20 women. And there were CEOs, there were several women CEOs in the room that we had and, and men who were CEOs as well. When we came back together, the men, every group had number one, I'm going to find a woman to coach me and educate me on what I need to know. Now, this is a great intention, but remember at the beginning, I said, you do not want to over rely on the group that is facing often, whether it's discrimination or they're facing a prejudice, or maybe it's simply they're not being included. And, and so they all had get coaching. And so we brought the women out and we said, what's the one thing you do not want them to do? They said, I do not want you coming to me for coaching. And they, and they were like, if you really are passionate about this, I'm happy to have a conversation with you. Absolutely. But I don't want to be your sole source of education. I want you to come a little bit informed and then when I feel like you're really comf- you're like informing, then let's talk. So it wasn't that they didn't want to talk and do that. They just didn't want to be the teacher. 
of something. They really wanted them to own it. So that's probably the biggest takeaway that we can underestimate is to do our own homework. When the murder of George Floyd happened and that horrific, that year in Europe after the full year, we that was probably the main topic we talked about with companies. So it was really on race, ethnicity and global conversations. And that do your education meant every day or once a week or once every two weeks or once a month, read an article. It doesn't mean you have to read the whole book, but ask people for resources. They will give them. You have them at Siemens Energy and we have them, but just take little steps. And, and that is people will trust you and believe you when they see that you're genuinely going there. Again, it's not about being perfect. You're going to get this wrong. I have got it horribly wrong. and But just don't get stuck there. Don't get in the mud and go, oh, it's hopeless, and then sit back. That's your work. You need to step forward. You need to continue doing it and then continue. This has been fascinating. I appreciate your time, Allison, and I think there are a lot of a lot of lessons that can be learned and a lot of guidance that a lot of people and companies can take following this conversation. So thank you. Is there a website we can direct our listeners to if they want to find out more information about you or Catalyst? Yeah. Catalyst, you're all supporters of Catalyst, but I'm also your relationship manager in Europe. Um, the website is www.catalyst.org. And, and so you, anybody can reach out to me. I often take conversations, they're all confidential. As I'm your relationship manager, don't hesitate to reach out. And if you're in another region, I'd happy to connect you with your relationship manager as well. Or you just send me an email with your questions. I'll give you your homework if you want to do your education. <laughs> and it's all confidential, so don't be afraid. And, but thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, and thank you for joining us and have a great rest of your day. Thank you too. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening. We hope you found this episode valuable. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. You can find more information and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at siemens-energy.com forward slash podcast.